Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, my name is Maria. The pronouns are she and her. And uh, my name is Alyssa. Uh, thank you for giving me an and. Um, <laughs> and my name is Alyssa. My pronouns are also she and her. Yes. And today we are going to be talking about Julius Caesar and whether or not we should be considering him to be uh, um, LGBTQ or not. And we're going to unpack a whole lot of stuff. We're going to unpack so much gender roles and, and, and sexuality and things like that in the ancient world. Um, and because we're talking about the ancient world, there is almost an, an explicit need for a, a content warning here because, you know, we're dealing with old patriarchal societies um so our content warning here is there's there's gonna be a little bit of uh, by a little bit i mean very blatant homophobia we're not gonna be using any slurs because i mean come on no one wants to do that here we don't have any i mean also did did the romans use slurs that we would still like care about like (sighs) no not really but i mean they a lot of our, our words here are when we're dealing with with roman uh, concept of gender and sexuality and, and effeminacy and all this other stuff is very much put negatively. And we're going to get into that in a little bit oh, um, yeah. later in this episode. But it's, it is worth saying that you will be dealing with ancient ideas of, of gender and sexuality. And unfortunately, those are not very inclusive uh, because oh, the Romans God. are many yes. things, but they're not, <laughs> they're not nice people. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about Julius Caesar. Let's talk about our case study and who we're studying and all this other happy crap. Um, Gaius Julius Caesar is, of course, a patrician of ancient Rome, the Roman Republic in this era. Um, uh, the... What's a patrician? <laughs> a patrician. Very good. No, uh, thank you for asking that question. So when we talk about <laughs> Roman society, there are, roughly speaking in this period, three classes that we care about. Well, actually four. Uh, at the very top, you have the patricians. These are your nobility. They are descended from the original founders of Rome, uh, and they tend to be able to like tie their lineage to like uh, Romulus and Remus and everyone else in that archaic period, which is semi-historical, um, and they trace their lineage down through there. You have the plebeians, who are your normal Roman citizen. They are um, not of noble birth. They are just kind of like your, your, your working class, as it were. Um, they, though in this period, there is lots of political rights and property rights and things like that that they didn't have at the beginning. Um, so in this period, mostly that distinction is just a matter of pedigree. You can, you, the Benefits to being a patrician in this period are mostly just so you can say, I'm a patrician and, you know, my forefathers go back all the way to the founding of the city, blah, 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 blah. Not that other cack. Um, all that generational yes. stuff you're getting. Uh, I guess also you should say what you said this period. What period are we talking about? Yes. So our period today, well, Gaius Julius Caesar was born in <laughs> July of 100 B.C., or BCE, I should be saying, uh, because yes, nomenclature that's matters. BCE, that's the one. Yes, us. Uh, and of course, he very famously died on March 15th, 44 <laughs> BCE, on the Ides of March, 
he was, of course, murdered by other patricians and senators and things like that because he was a tyrant. So that's the period we're kind of talking about. And again, in this period, we have our patricians on the top, of which Caesar was a patrician. Uh, we have the plebeians, who are kind of towards the bottom. Uh, we have a middle class called equites or equestrians. And they are, you'll also see them referred to as knights. And the distinction there is kind of weird because they typically, they are not considered to be nobles, but they are more politically powerful than the plebeians. So if you will, these this is our, our ancient equivalent of, I guess, a, a bourgeoisie or, or <laughs> a middle class or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, of course, on the very, very, very bottom, we have slaves and non-citizens and people like that, just like in the modern day. They're exploited. Um, they're cheap labor and politically no one cares about them. Uh, Isn't that the equestrian class? Um, uh, God, I'm trying to reach back. They, they're like able to buy a horse if they go to war. That's why they're called that. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) yes and no. I like when, when these class distinctions were first put to paper, that was probably true. Um, but in, in this period, again, a lot of like those top three, class distinctions are are kind of fluid um uh, that's really like a best way to put it like like there were equestrians who were um barely able to make meat like ends meet and everything like that and there were plebeians who had like shit loads of money um you had patricians who were dirt poor which will come up very shortly and of course patricians who were you know well richer than Croesus or Crassus actually in this case because Crassus is stupid wealthy but that's a complete tangent and we are getting off topic <laughs> no um it's all good. but yeah so that that's kind of like the basic setup of Roman society here so when I say that Julius Caesar was a patrician I'm saying that he essentially is of a noble pedigree considered to be um bred for uh ruling the ship of state as it were and all that um now, it's worth noting here that in the first century BCE, um, the Julii, which is the family that Caesar is from, the name is very prestigious. It's very old. It goes all the way back to the founding of the Republic. But their political and economic influence at this point is fairly low um, just because of just the, the whims of fortune and all that and just how the cards got dealt. Um, this starts to turn around, though, starting with... Uh, Julius Caesar's father, who, of course, very usefully was also named Gaius Julius Caesar. Thank you for (laughs) having five whole fucking names for everybody else, uh, Rome. I appreciate that. And so their their fortunes start to rise. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Gaius Julius Caesar, the father of the famous one, dies when our Caesar is 16, which puts him at the head of his family. He becomes the paterfamilias, as it were. Um, which is just means he's like the head of the household, but uh, the household is much bigger than our current idea of household. Now, also, unfortunately for Caesar, he his family is on the wrong side of a civil war that is wrapping up in this period under the uh, dictatorship of Sulla. Um, there's going to be a lot of names here, which I heartily recommend you go uh, Google and, and Wikipedia and all that because there's a lot of really cool history there that we don't have time to unpack, unfortunately. Um, In this episode. The cliff notes of that is Sulla is a dictator. Sulla does a lot of prescriptions, murders a lot of people. We get a lot of really fun literature out of that. And Caesar has to go into exile for several years um, and then eventually is pardoned 
due to the um, influence of his mother and her family, who are from the Gaines Aurelia, which is just the name of their family, which is, I, I bring this up because this is actually really cool. Um, the Gaines Aurelia is the uh, same family that the very famous Marcus Aurelius comes from. So the Aurelian dynasty has a, a hereditary connection to Caesar, which is really neat. And I didn't actually know that. Um, but yeah, so Caesar gets pardoned by Sulla. Sulla kind of does this really neat thing where he uh, allegedly can peer into the future. And he, he gives us this beautiful quote, Caesari multos Marius and Essa. Uh, in, in Caesar, uh, there will be many Mariuses. And Marius is the guy that Sulla toppled. Uh, who was also considered to be way too powerful. So he's kind of going, oh yeah, I'm going to let him go, but y'all going to fucking pay for it later. Um, <laughs> and so this happens in 82, but still um, Caesar is kind of, you know, uh, shaky ground, politically speaking. So he goes and joins the army. And when I say joins the army, I mean, he's not enlisting to be like a some random legionary dipshit stabbing people in the front. He, he's going in as the cavalry. He's going in as, as a as a, as a praetor or something like that, uh, where he's put into a, a, a role of leadership of some level. Um, and this is important because this kind of brings us into our story. Um, oh, okay, can I, I have yes. one question. Um, sure. At this point, like while he's, <laughs> I know that he doesn't have a, a, a coming out story, but like, is there, do we have anything about this early life of like, no, I, I'm sure we don't. Knowing that he's like gay at a very young age or anything. Well, that it's it's interesting you say that because we have a couple really interesting kind of um, little anecdotal stories about him. And keep in mind, everything here is going to be anecdotal because um, we don't have a whole lot of contemporary writing about Caesar that is objective, like. The majority of it is going to be people like Cicero, Cato, uh, who are all on the other side of the civil war that will come when Caesar decides to seize power. Right. Um, and of so, course, those people are not objective either. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you ha have this off the top of your head, but like whatever, when you're about to give an anecdote, like right now, um, mm. if you know it, will you say like how long after he died you know, this was being written about, or if the person was like, and, you know, the yeah. grandson of Caesar told me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, whenever possible, uh, I will be doing that, uh, because okay. that does matter. There is a gap of time. Uh, yeah. Our uh, yeah. When we deal with ancient sources, our primary sources, the people we consider to be eyewitnesses, the range of date of primary sources gets really wide. Yeah. Uh, which we'll, we'll cover that a little bit more in detail when we start digging into it um as for any expression of let's say like non-heteronormative be behavior um there's a big asterisk here and again <laughs> there are spoilers but we're going to cover that um there are a couple things that caesar did that kind of flew in the face of the the stodgy roman idea of masculinity and and you know vim and ver and all that um the most main one, and this most of these uh, examples are going to be coming from Suetonius, who was writing in the first century uh, A.D., so C.E., I should say, um, specifically around 121 C.E., uh, and he's writing in something called De Vida Caesarum, The Lives of the Caesars, and Suetonius himself is actually really neat, because he's actually Emperor Hadrian's personal secretary, uh, and and 
Hadrian himself is going to be a, <laughs> a subject of this because, uh, yeah. yeah, Hadrian, pretty, pretty gay, uh, frankly. <laughs> uh, but Suetonius is, it gives us a couple really nice little stories in here that give us this kind of insight into Caesar's life and, and also into Roman mores, as it were. And um, do we know, so he was writing what, like a uh, hundred years at least after Caesar died? So like, uh, yeah, about 150 was he um, just writing down like things that were still circulating about Caesar or yes and no there's there's a lot of anecdotal evidence in Suetonius but Suetonius is also um citing like sources that were extant and available then that are not oh, necessarily yeah, the case now course. which is okay, super okay. frustrating yeah <laughs> Um, but he does do some citations here he also says oh this is a story i have heard I'm not saying whether or not it's true, but here it is. I'm relating it to you, which is um, goes all the way back to like Thucydides, I want to say, or Herodotus even. So this is this is like old school history we're dealing with here, which is kind of fun. Um, but anyway, so Antonius tells us that you know Caesar has this reputation of wearing like loose clothes, being looking like a little bit disheveled. Um, he's clean shaven. Uh, I, there's I guess reports that kind of say that he was epilated, that he had like waxed or plucked certain things. There are mannerisms that he did that were kind of like, kind. I don't want to go so far as to say queer-coded because our, our that's kind of imposing a modern sensibility upon it, but it's definitely considered to be not super masculine, I guess. I thought, kind of the way I like thought he, Romans did do a lot of like shaving and hygiene. Is that, am I totally wrong? Um, you're, you are and you aren't, uh, this sounds so, so <laughs> vacillating. I, I apologize, but there's a lot to do here regarding like, like gender roles and the, the expression of the ancient Rome is these are not considered to be as concrete as they are to us, I suppose, but also more so in certain ways. Like it's all about moderation to the Roman mind in this period. It's all about, you know excessiveness and avoiding that um for instance there's there's instances in cicero where he is talking about legal cases where he's defending i forget the defendant's name uh and one of the accusations leveled towards his defendant is that they were uh wearing perfume and they are not supposed to but cicero says well there's no problem with wearing perfume if it's just a little bit you know everyone likes a little <laughs> bit of of good smell and stuff there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you're like dousing yourself in it, then obviously you're a sexual deviant and clearly we need to keep our eye on you. Um, okay. And there's a couple of All other, right. there's a couple of other primary source writers who also kind of echo that kind of sentiment. Sentiment. So I can think of like all those Seneca like high school boys that like douse themselves in Axe body spray, sexual deviants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the, in the Roman mind, the, the, the 12 year old dousing himself in Axe is very, very clearly trying to compensate for something. Ooh. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just, let's just go right on into it. So in the year 80 BC, Gaius Julius Caesar is on campaign in the Aegean Sea, trying to uh, keep down a rebellion uh, off of one of the cities in the Aegean. I, I want to say it was a city on Lesbos. I'm not 100% sure on this <laughs> on the top of my head. Um, forgot to write that down. That's, that down. I mean, that's that would be good to know. That's like almost... A, an ancient lesbian gay solidarity we've got you know caesar <laughs> uh, i don't know I, <laughs> uh, yeah 
unfortunately, <laughs> it's, it's it's the less fun type of lesbian. Um, but yeah, so there's a small revolt over there, and he gets sent over to the kingdom of Bithynia, which is in nor- modern northwest Turkey. Um, and he goes there to request aid from the king of Bithynia, one uh, Nicomedes IV, uh, called Philopater, loved by his dad. Um, so I'm just going to call him Nicomedes or Nicomedes or whatever. And he is sent there to request aid in the form of ships, because again, Rome is a land power, not so much a naval one. Um, they're, they have naval supremacy, but they're not like super good at it. So usually they just like outsource uh, the things they're not so good at to people who are, which we see constantly throughout the Roman period, like from the beginning to the end, they're constantly just like, oh, our cavalry skills, they suck. So let's go get this, this dude from, you know, Numidia. They've got good horses or, oh, well, we don't really throw rocks very well. So let's get, you know, Rhodian slingers or whatever. Romans are many things, but but inflexible is not really one of them, especially in cases like this. But yeah, so he gets sent to Bithynia to go ask of King Nicomedes if he will, you know, make, get some ships and maybe help them sort things out. Um, and this in and of itself is fairly common. I mean, you know, the Roman client system is exactly like this. They go out there, they make, you know, they network, they find people who they can help out who in turn can help them it's very you know one hand washes the other in this situation but what's interesting about this um event is that caesar spends a long time there um like an an inordinately long amount of time there and there starts to be some rumors how long is an inordinately long amount of time yeah, I mean, he's there for, I, 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 unfortunately, we don't have a time period of how long oh. he was there for. <laughs> they literally um, just say it was like, it was way too long. Too they, long. They, yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, rumor starts flying because, you know, of course it does. Uh, and there is, this is when we get into Suetonius, because Suetonius is the one who really starts to um, lay out this in his, in his, you know, on the lives of the Caesars. And he reports this having been an issue in him returning to Rome after he got what he wanted. But what's interesting is apparently he only stayed in Rome for a couple days uh, and then he went back to Bithynia. Ooh. Um, now, his stated reason is that he's going to go help out one of his, his new clients, which is, you know, very, very proper, very, very good in Roman. But there's, of course, that kind of question, like, are you really going there to talk to a client? Is that really why you're going there? Or are you going there to go have a little bit more fun? Um, I mean, but that would be like, I guess it would that have been okay if it was a, a woman? Because I assume what we're getting at here is like he was maybe going and doing something that was not heterosexual, right? Yeah. Um, so the issue, the issue isn't so much the fact that it was heter, it was homosexual in nature. Um, the issue is his role and his perceived role in in all of this and it, but there we should probably kind of do a caveat here that that the romans had this idea of the east um as being somewhat more feminine uh than you know the west i mean the the classic example comes from actually the greeks where they're like oh well the persians they're all a bunch of weak you know, uh, girly men who wear pants <laughs> and, and, and oh. like have, have perfume and then they, and they, they darken their eyes and blah, blah, blah. And all this other, you know, crap. Uh, and so that kind of carries over to the West. Um, and of course Rome is 
pretty pretty far west in comparison to like you know uh, Parthia. And so there's a lot of this idea that like you know, if you go east, you'll 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 go native. I'm doing some air quotes here. You'll go native, and and you'll they'll corrupt you and all your your proper Roman virtue, and you have to be careful because otherwise you'll turn into um, a Bithynian. <laughs> oh, cool. So we we also just have some like racism yeah. going on yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just you know, casual <laughs> racism, casual homophobia, just normal day in the Roman Empire. Yeah. <sighs> or yeah. now, I or know, now, unfortunately, it... <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. Fourth Rome, right? So we get the story about how there are all these scandals and Suetonius is saying, like, I don't know if I believe any of this, but here's what I've been told. And then he begins to, like, lay out everything he's read and been told uh, in great detail, which kind of makes me think that maybe he does kind of put a little bit of of, of stock in some of this. Um, So first and foremost, like, the direct quote is, there was no stain on his reputation for chastity, except his intimacy with King Nicomedes, but that was a deep and lasting reproach, which laid him open to insults from every quarter. Um, and when we say and, this... Um, okay, when we use intimacy as the translation, like, is that understood mm-hmm. then as it would be understood today? Yes, very okay. much so. Um, um, the, the actual word, I, th- I think, is contubernium, which is just, like, the roommate but it's they were very roommates. Much... Thank you. Thank you for saying the line for me. <laughs> um, and again, the issue here is not that Caesar engaged in same sex activity, even like same sex activity with a foreigner. The issue is that um, allegedly Caesar did some same sex activity and uh, was not the uh, giver, but was the receiver. So, which you should point out, right. Is like, that that's what being gay was like you could be the giver yes i I, I don't like (laughs) you could be a top just fine that's not gay tops not gay yeah top um that's right right, yeah but caesar was a bottom bottoms definitely gay in ancient rome yes (laughs) yes um with all and there's all kinds of 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 nuance here when we talk about that too which again later in the episode but uh, let's just go straight into the, like what our records, like what the record says and what we have to go off of here. So he's there with King Nicomedes and he goes and comes back and there's all kinds of stories uh, and, and things coming out. Uh, we get this line, Bithynia could quit at Petigator Caesaris Unquan Habuit, whatever Bithynia had, and also the Sodomite of Caesar. Ooh. Uh, yeah, which is apparently like a very popular well-known kind of uh line at this point from one uh Licinius Calvus who coined that and apparently that was like even in first century AD it's still well known um so that tells us that there is some echoing reminder of this incident and how it hounded Caesar through his whole life I mean for Christ's sake we're talking about it now two millennia (laughs) later so most people don't I mean that's that's the whole point right is like yeah. You know, I took a whole class on Roman history and <laughs> there was not even like a footnote of, oh, and maybe he was gay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is to do with the historiography, unfortunately. Yeah. And and a lot of this historiography that we do today is based more, actually, I would argue more on the works of like 19th century scholars than necessarily like the contemporary primary sources and all that. Um, we. Us, a classicists have a have a little joke. It's like before their computer, there were Germans because they just wrote on everything. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, unfortunately, 
Um, a lot of these scholars are from the 19th century, and so we get these Victorian ideas of, like, you know, sexuality, gender, yeah. expression of those things, what's okay. All the interpretations and so when I mixed. Yeah. And so when I went looking for a translation so I didn't have to, like, you know, sit there and, and you know, translate a shitload of Silver Age Latin, um, I found one that was written by a, a 19th century Scot, uh, whichever one that Perseus has, and he just straight up skips this whole fucking chapter. <laughs> Like, he just doesn't, he just doesn't. He just omits it. He says, oh, I've omitted chapter 49 with no other comment. Um, Huh, yeah. Which is I really, I started translating chapter 49 and went, um, actually. (laughs) I was like, yeah, we don't need to do it. Which is an actual shame. um, Because we get, we we get cheated out of lines like this one right here, which actually the next one I was going to mention. And this one, I, I can't help but laugh at it because it's just, it's such it's such fun Latin. Um, there is a court case that is commented on where um, he's defending, or not defending, but he's, he's talking to someone uh, about a, a certain Dolabella who I don't, unfortunately, could not find anything further on. Uh, uh, but we get this hilarious line, at least to me. Pylicum uh, reginae uh, spondum interiorum regiae leticae. And there's, so the translation that I could find, also from another 19th century person, was, uh, uh, sorry, the queen's rival and the inner partner of the royal couch. The um, uh, but I don't like that because it's a little inaccurate. You're going to have to... So I think a better translation... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Next translation. So I think a better translation is a male prostitute of the queen in the bed frame of the royal litter. Oh my, oh my. Yeah, <laughs> which, I mean, it's a word painting yeah. and it's great. Yeah. I mean... Uh, understanding our context here that this is used very much to slander and and like delegitimize caesar as a politician but also i mean i i mean what 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 a wonderful simile that is <laughs> um i've i i i hate to say it's i wish modern homophobes were this creative oh, uh, I, like, I don't know i feel like there's you're you're adding some extra to it because it's you know, nice Latin phrasing. I bet that there's... <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, like, if some random dude on the street is like, oh, you're the bed frame of the litter, aren't you? I'll be like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, who the fuck are you? Why are you talking to me? Please don't. Six feet, motherfucker. At all times, <laughs> even when there's not a yeah, pandemic? Just, Regardless. Yeah, just, just just leave me the fuck alone. Um, the headphones mean don't talk to me. It's not that hard. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we get little things like that. We also have this other uh, line where he is called Stabulum Nicomedes, Nicomedes et Bithanicum Fornicum, the stable of Nicomedes and the basement of Bithynia. Whoa! Which the stable? Yeah. <laughs> like that's the stable of Nicomedes. <laughs> yes, he's uh, which implies something about Nicomedes, which is a little more than flattering, it, actually. Yeah. Which is yeah. Interesting. Um, and also, the, when we say, like, the, the basement of Bithynia, it's kind of implied that, like, that's that's where the brothels are and, like, the shady parts uh, okay, of town. Right. So it's kind of implying that, yeah. <laughs> the implication there is that Caesar is not just bottoming for Nicomedes, but also for the entirety of the country, which, of course, is, is obviously impossible. <laughs> is um, it? I mean, we, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, with that attitude, certainly, yeah, yes. Yeah, unlikely, <laughs> but if you try your best, you can achieve anything. <laughs> Uh, now what's interesting, like, as far as, like, actual contemporaries with Caesar, um, the most notable one is, is Cicero, because Cicero is ever-present in almost everything regarding this period, because Cicero is a lawyer and he never shuts up. 
Um, and he loves his own writing, so he writes constantly, and we have tons of writing of Cicero. Well, thanks. I mean, that's helpful. Um, uh, a lot of these don't survive into the modern day just because of the ravages of time, but we do have some little fragmentary quotations and other sources and things like that. Uh, like this one, where Suetonius talks about how he wrote letters uh, about how you know he was presented on the royal couch in, in a very lavicious manner on like a golden couch. He's arrayed in purple, and, and I, the line, he, the virginity of this son of Venus was lost in Bithynia. Uh, very, very flowery oh ways my. to imply all sorts of things. Yeah. So wait, is in that um, quote, is Caesar supposed to be the son of Venus, whose flower was lost? Yes. Okay. Uh, the the Julii trace their lineage all the way back to Aeneas, who is supposed to be descended from Venus. Um, oh, okay. Which is so yeah, kind of like, yeah. yeah, which causes all sorts of wonderful plot in in the Aeneid, which is frankly just Augustan propaganda. But we don't need to worry about that too much. Uh, <laughs> But, like, that's one instance of Cicero. We also have, again, from Suetonius, um, Caesar being in the Senate and defending uh, Nyssa, who is the daughter of Nicomedes. And he is talking about all of these obligations he has to the king, why he's defending her, and, you know, I've done this and this and this for Nicomedes, who in turn did this and this and this for us. And, and maybe he was just going to line, and Cicero goes, yeah, we know what he gave you and what you gave him. Whoa! All right. Just straight there on the on the Senate floor, <laughs> um, and uh, like on the one hand, like again, this is homophobia and this sucks and it's shit that we have had to like deal with this crap for so long as a species. Um, but if we ignore kind of some of that, I'm picturing Caesar being on the Senate floor and all the senators just giving him shit for being a bottom and and honestly, <laughs> so relatable. So. I take it Cicero didn't record any response of, like, Caesar being like, come on, what? Come on. No, he, Cicero doesn't, but we have a few other things, um, which Caesar is very clearly saying that this is not the case. This never happened. Um, and the, like, the explicit example I found here was in, uh, Dio Cassius, who is writing in the second century, um, so another hundred years after Suetonius. Ooh. And he talks about a um, instance during Caesar's triumph. So after he's won all the wars and everything, and he's beat Pompey and he's done all of this, uh, he has his triumph through Rome. And the triumph is a very, very, very big affair. Um, and it's like the high point of any Roman politician's career. If you get a triumph, then you've, you've won and you get all sorts of accolades and, and shit you can do for the rest of your life because you're a special boy. You did good for Rome. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but Caesar's troops, as they are marching through Rome, down the Via Sacra, are chanting this, this, this little, like, body, like, marching song, um, which, uh, I mean, if, if his troops are, are saying this, then they're kind of raises some red flags and has some questions to it, and I'm not going to bother you with the Latin, uh, because it's really clunky. But it translates to something along the lines of Caesar has conquered the Gauls, Nicomedes has conquered Caesar. Behold, Caesar now triumphs, who conquered the Gauls, yet Nicomedes, who conquered Caesar, does not. What? Oh yeah. my god. And these are these and these are the troops that he has like taken into Gaul, yeah. into Spain, into Egypt. It all he has gone all over the Mediterranean and killed just thousands, or possibly even millions of people's people with these with these folks who all have swords and they're just like, yeah, 
Yeah, our general. Yeah, he's, you know, kind of... Eh. Yeah, I thought... I'm making a hand Once gesture. again, I thought that, like, uh, Caesar's troops liked him. Oh, they loved him. They, I, like, Caesar was extremely popular among his soldiers. Yeah, so um, why... Like, uh, I mean, were they... I don't, I don't know how to think of this then. So they love Caesar, but mm-hmm. they're walking in his triumph chanting about him bottoming which yeah. you know was a negative and, thing yeah and, and it's 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 interesting because like on the one hand you could look at this as just being like oh well this is just the troops razzing their their ceo and him kind of just being oh you guys are so funny and kind of just doing a morale thing but that's not the case here um, i mean it's his triumph like i feel like that's that's well, not the yeah. time for razzing that's <laughs> yeah well i, I like this 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 whole incident, if you want to call it that, hounds Caesar throughout his entire life. Um, like, again, at with this one specific instance of his soldiers doing this during the triumph, um, he actually, according to Dio Cassius, he actually, at the, like, publicly is very upset and actually, like, swears under oath, like, under, like, a, a legal oath that none of this happened. Um he went there for business purposes. He did business things <laughs> and there was nothing else going on, but business, um, which of course made everyone go, Oh yeah. The yeah, business. Qu- wink, uh-huh. wink, wink. And, <laughs> and all it did was just fan the fires. So like this, this is, you know, very typical, even in the modern world. Um, rumors fly. Uh, Suetonius kind of gives us, again, he mentions that, you know, Caesar says all of this. He's like, Oh, well, of course this never happened, but then he goes back anyway. And it does raise some interesting red flags. And um, that's kind of like persists throughout all of the ancient world um, as far as like Caesar's understood affairs and all that. Uh, And again, remember, like the issue here is not that not that he engaged in activity with another man. Yeah. But again, that he bought him like his his affair with Cleopatra is is literally the stuff of, of, (laughs) you know, plays. And the issue there was that, you know, oh, well, he's orientalized and that, like, he's he's losing Roman mores. And, of course, he's, he's dallying with this um, foreign queen. And the Romans hate qu- any kind of, like, monarchy is, like, anathema to a Roman in this period. Um, which is why we get that scene of Caesar being offered the crown in, in the Shakespeare play because, oh, well, that's ooh, taboo crowns and kings. and <gasps> Yeah, no, I'm not, so. I'm not a tyrant. I don't want to be, no. And so there's, we also get that a little bit in these rumors with, uh, with Nicomedes because it, it, there's the explicit understanding that, yes, while no, no good Roman aristocrat should ever be, you know, in the receiving role, but to do it to a king, you're literally subjecting yourself to a monarch. Like, it was against every single thing we founded our, our entire our civilization on. What's wrong with mm. you? So there's that moral character being called into question alongside the political character of Caesar. Um, okay. <laughs> So that's what C- that's what Suetonius and Dio Cassius have to say about it. Uh, Plutarch doesn't really mention it, uh, from what I saw. Mind you, I did not read Plutarch as closely because uh, Plutarch and I have met, and oh god, his Greek. <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> Greek bad, Greek bad, Latin good. Uh, sorry, Hellenophiles. That's just my opinion. Yeah, you're gonna uh, start something. There's, you know, we can't all be Kaloi Kagathoi. Sorry. <laughs> so. 
Um, so that's kind of our, our, our ancient perspective on, on Caesar, and that's kind of where these ideas come from. Uh, in the modern world, we've had some more writing on it, not as much as, as I'd like to have seen, obviously. Um, and to, to be clear, my research ability is a little bit limited right now since, you know, I can't go walking into random libraries um, without, you know, getting the play. Yeah. <laughs> so, and kind of work with what we got. Uh, I did find one really neat article, though, by Kelly Olson. Uh, it's entitled Masculinity, Appearance, and Sexuality, Dandies in Roman Antiquity. Oh, boy. Is that going to be, are I you going to put that in the show notes? Uh, I'm not because that one is not actually open oh. access. That one does have a paywall God behind it. it. Um, which I totally got, totally legitimately. Yeah. No, mm. yeah, definitely. Yes. Also, um, make definitely. everything open access. Come on, fuck. Yes. It's time. Come on. Democratize <laughs> institutional learning. Uh, it's aggressively white there with the Yeah, yeah, I That was something. Yeah, it was something. But yeah, but she makes this really interesting um, connection between, you know, dandyism in antiquity and what it meant and kind of unpacking a lot of ideas of, of Roman sexuality and gender roles and all this. And it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier on. Um, so there is, there, so there's a couple things we can look at with Caesar, um, not related to Nicomedes, but related to how he presented himself in public and the sort of things he did, his mannerisms and other stuff like that. And we can kind of draw a couple conclusions um, and also ask some more questions because that's ultimately what we have to do here. Um, so for starters, there is there were theories that Caesar's manner of dress with like the loose clothing and epilating and all that other stuff was a political act. And by that, to be clear, when we say political act, we mean that there are, in this period in the Republic, there are two main factions within uh, the political sphere, as it were, that are kind of antithetical. So you have the optimates, who are the, 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 the highborn, literally, uh, and they are your conservative wing. And of course, as modern conservatives now, they want very strict ideas of gender, uh, gender roles, what constitutes masculinity, what makes a good Roman man a good Roman man. Um, and those sorts of things are tied up very much in presentation. Like you don't want to be overly groomed, but you also don't want to be overly messy. You want to have like a, a, a refined sort of a, appearance to yourself. Um, but you don't want to be like over the top and flamboyant because that shows excess, that shows a lack of restraint, and ultimately a lack of moral fortitude. And it really just reflects on you as a person and really just fuck And you. do we know what, like, what is at each end of this spectrum? Like, what is perfect and like what is too messy and then i guess caesar was maybe too too hygienic because he shaved i mean yes to an extent um a lot of that is kind of now see here, the thing here is like this idea of, of presenting yourself for political reasons has a little bit of weight but i i much like the author i'm not really convinced either um because the 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 idea behind that theory is that okay well if the optimates are all like focusing on these hyper masculine roles and ideas of like oh well this is proper this is good and this is okay and this isn't um like it's a little bit kind of simplistic to say if that's the case then the opposite must be true of the populares who are the the i guess populist right best yeah. way to put it i guess you can kind of tell in the name populares populist um but that's not true because you do have people who are popularized who are not. 
like going to the effect of like you know uh, shaving all their body hair off or whatever like you have some very strict masculine roles um or people adhering to strict masculine roles who are popularized who are uh, all these people like just off the top of my head uh the grocky are surrounding themselves and coaching their entire political um program on the fact that like you know tiberius gracchus is this extremely manly man who who was first over the walls of carthage and all this other stuff and do we know um, like what so okay we we know that shaving not manly i think you said some things earlier so okay yeah going being first over the walls very manly um wearing pants mm. not manly uh a no. little bit of perfume manly too much perfume sexual deviant um what 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 else do we have other well just just to back up a a, a hair a pun intended here the shaving thing itself is the, shaving in and of itself is not considered to be effeminate neither is oddly enough epilation it's considered to be like yeah you're just kind of like hygiene okay i'm definitely missing something when you say i mean epilation is just a way of removing hair right right um like when i say epilation i mean like 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 waxing your legs or plucking your eyebrows or or you know bikini waxing and things like that okay so what was Um, what do you mean by shaving then if that you're you're so like the shaving the facial hair and not wearing a beard or a mustache. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, uh, like having fashion stubble here in this period, for example, might have been considered to be effeminate <laughs> because you are. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I know it's it's very weird. Uh, well, not weird, but uh, yeah, it's it's I different than um, what we think of now. Yeah, there's there's some yes, things that are that we're like, oh yeah, you know. Hmm. Wait, are there? So, what are the things that? I don't know. I now can't think of anything. What is a masculine Roman ideal that we still hold? I guess not shaving your whole body. That's. <laughs> yeah. I, I would probably say like, if you want an example of like, like your, 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 your stereotypical idea of Roman manliness, as it were, um, you could look to these mythical figures like Aeneas or, or Hercules or possibly even like Jupiter. Uh, if you want to go to the gods for it, whereas for like humans, I mean, these—that's—that's that's the problem here is these notions do change yeah. over time, um, and uh, Olson actually makes some really interesting uh, connections in that, like dandyism and and you know overindulging in things like wearing too many rings or too much perfume or having your clothes a certain fashion are not necessarily to convey um, sexual passivity but actually just to say that I am of a high enough status in this society where I can break these rules and get away with it. Oh. I can, I can, I can shave my legs and still be considered to be an extremely powerful Senator because I am an extremely powerful Senator. I can break these rules because they're my rules to break. Yeah. And it implies a certain like level of, of like, I guess societal agency, if you want to call it that, that, you know, the, Hoi polloi don't have. Oh my god, I said the hoi polloi. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Don't double the articles. I know better than that. I'm leaving that in for my shame. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we get these really interesting like shifts in gender roles. Like if you look at like even the first, late first, early second century CE, you start seeing emperors wearing full beards. Like again, Marcus Aurelius has a full beard. Hadrian has a full beard. Commodus is 
well, Commodus is Commodus, and depends on your depiction. But he's often d displayed with a full beard. Um, amusingly, also uh, displayed as Hercules, so we come full circle. Uh, so these these mannerisms, these 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 ideas of gender roles and what codes them as such do change over oh, yeah. time. And there's <laughs> and these aren't concrete even in this era. Um, but as far as like this being a political act, him saying like, oh yeah, well I'm I'm kind of like you know dressing a little 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 womanly because you know uh because I'm 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 one of y'all and I don't believe in anything all the the optimists say. I I don't think that holds much water. Uh, because there's better, more effective ways to get political power than to, like, you know, wear a skirt. Yeah, and also, like, shaving your legs is a lot of effort to just be like, oh, I'm so powerful, I can shave. Like, I <laughs> if if you yeah. want to just prove your power, like, uh, leg shave. I guess he probably had, like, slaves. That's Still, it yeah. takes time. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, the Roman idea of, of this is more focused on, and this is... Olsen talking again. She's saying that the Romans are focusing more on gender identity instead of necessarily sexual orientation. Um, and there's a lot of reflection of this in the, in, in the Roman society, as it were. Like, again, we talk about how the issue is topping versus uh, bottoming. Yeah. Um, but we see a lot of reflections in that in the society, like the, the relation of citizen versus slave or patron versus sl client. Like, it's all very hierarchical in its nature. Um, and that's probably an expression of this as well. That that's probably a reflection of the fact that Roman society is so um, hierarchical and kind of strictly divided as in certain so ways. So you said this might be kind of a whole. You other. said making a distinction between gender roles and and sexual differences. Like, does that? It it seems like if that's the case, are they then equating? How do I want to say this? Like like bottoming is its own specific like gender like you've got you know your men and your women and it doesn't matter what they're having sex with at all except then you have hmm. you know if the men are bottoming that's that's another gender classification yes um pretty much i mean it's a little little simplistic but yeah <laughs> i mean a lot of it is in relation to like power like power relations here is kind of oh the right because if you're the yeah. issue the issue isn't enjoying the act the issue is subjecting yourself to somebody of uh, presumably of either a lower or equal um status right and that implies that subjugate like you have subjected yourself to it you have um put yourself beneath this person and it's considered to be antithetical to the patrician like style right, because what, or, of ruling what, and, and like just it's bad it's bad for the country for you to what, bottom, what, so silly. <laughs> what usually happened right and like I guess some of the context for maybe why they saw it this way is like there were you know bottoms were usually uh, young men or your students or someone below you mm -hmm. so if you grow up or slaves and you still uh, are bottoming like oh my god like you're yeah yeah and that and that's the interesting thing here too is like all of these things we've I've, I've we've just talked about like all of these secondary kind of again I'm I'm imposing yeah, modernity yeah. <laughs> onto it but like all this quote unquote queer coding is actually like in a lot of cases not just accepted but like sought after in these um, more submissive or not submissive but but subjected uh, strata of society like you if you are going to get some some pleasure boy as it were you'd want them to have these sort of characteristics um and in fact they're often sought after 
uh, be they slave or just like you know pedagogy whatever um at that's the content warning here uh yeah is that consent is fucked up in this oh, period uh, well i'm not even gonna attempt yeah, to I... defend it because it's indefensible yeah. um yeah so there's all of that and all of that is like is it's considered to be good in a lot of instances um like it's okay to be a soft um very pretty boy but if you're a soft and very pretty man and you are a roman elite or even just a yeah, Roman citizen, yeah. then not cool. it's not... Only yeah. young boys can be soft and pretty and bottom. Totally acceptable. Once yes. you reach a certain age, nope. Yeah, no. Then then you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take the pants off and, and wear a <laughs> Wait, toga did, and be good. Did little and... boys wear pants? Uh, okay, no. Yeah. <laughs> not, at least not in Roman society. Yeah. Uh, pants aren't really a thing until like, probably like the third or fourth yeah. century. Um, I'm not a fashion historian, so I'm not 100% <laughs> sure on that. I'm going to actually look that up later. Um, but yeah, um, and here, there's a really good quote from this article that I do want to share because it's, it's really, it, it captures everything we need to know here. And it says, it's important to note that whatever words occur in Latin texts, they are used as an invective. They are never neutral or merely lexical. In addition, we have no first person statements from a kinitis, that is the um, receptive partner, um, in Roman antiquity, these are always the words the Roman authors used to hurl at another person. The voices of the passive, as the Romans would have called them, are absent from our sources. Unless, of course, Caesar was passive. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, them. I mean, uh, someone admitting, someone talking about being passive. Yeah. <laughs> and and that word, that word kinitus there has a lot of, um, has a lot to unpack. Because, um, I guess... Uh, the most common translation I've seen that isn't just like horrifically like over the top is, you know, sodomite or catamite. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, I'm going to kind of lightly walk away from that because it does have the um, effect in a lot of cases of, you know, Efsler. Um, so even it, even just in the language that they're talking about this in is, is not neutral. Yeah. There is, uh, the language itself is loaded and it's loaded against the person who is being called this. I mean, the most, probably the most famous example of this such language is uh, Catullus 16. Now, Petty Cabo Ego Vos et Irumabo Pathike Arelli Kinari Furi, rather. Um, why do I have that memorized? <laughs> which <laughs> means? Uh, and that, uh, which means I will, I, I'm a, let me go with my favorite translation. I will bugger and stuff you, soft Aurelius and, and bottom furious. <laughs> Oh my uh, God. Wow. Okay. Which is great because the next line, which is great. I love that poem because the next line is, how dare you accuse me of being a vulgar poet? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, um. And, and I bring Catullus up because he actually does mention Caesar and he calls him a lot of these same words. Um, and then later apologizes because he's like, I'm sorry, I went a little bit too far, buddy. I mean, it um, also just seems like whether or not um, I don't know whether or not anyone actually believes that you're bottoming. You know, that's just like a grave insult. Like, yeah. Yeah. I will bugger and stuff and, you and is like, ooh, fucked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and of course, he's, he's, he's directing this to two of his other friends who are poets who it's pretty much just understood and assumed are writing him poems in return. So it's kind of like it's 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 the ancient Roman version of a rap oh battle. Um <laughs> 
of a diss track, I okay. should say. So they're just going in there, just just taking pot shots at one another. Um, and this is, of course, very, very indicative of Roman society. Like the Roman sense of humor is uh, the best. The best way I put it is the Roman sense of humor is very similar to what you might hear in a locker oh, room, God. a boy's locker room specifically. A boy's locker room in, say, the 70s. Well, except um, they would not be cool with you being a top either. And they're, they're, yeah. 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 If you were like, mm-hmm. okay, I mean, it's not, you know, if, if your diss track um, said, oh, you know, you you have sex with little boys, you'd be like, yeah, I, I do. Um, that's fine. It's the thing. <laughs> like, yeah, because that's, you're supposed to in yeah. this period, which, uh, God. Yeah, power relations are garbage. (laughs) Get rid of all power. That's all there is to it. Relations. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Full anarchism now. I I Um, was setting that up for you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Now there is there is one little thing that does need to be kind of addressed here in this part specifically, Um, and it kind of goes back to again me having to translate Suetonius instead of just having a good translation that wasn't just like oh well Caesar was the the stew of of Bithynia which, <laughs> okay the like what the fuck does yeah. that even mean to be um, honest like you, what does th- that mean the Bithynians like dipped <laughs> their bread in him like i don't they uh, I don't, they s- <laughs> there's probably a nuance i'm not yeah. catching um, but also, I suspect it's some 19th century guy who's real mad because his favorite and most famous Roman might have, like, you know, might have liked to just, you know, yeah. just get pa- go to Pound Town every now and then. Which, you know, hey, no judgment here at all. But going back to that, like, like this whole idea that a that this is bad and b that's what it is is ex- largely a modern notion. Like the like this connection that we even in the modern world make between effeminacy and homosexuality is extremely new as far as like recorded history wait no so all of this stuff we've just mentioned yes but you just said that like caesar was seen as effeminate and that was bad like that well see yeah but see here's the thing we don't know necessarily that caesar was that these actions were perceived as effeminate necessarily we may be imposing this modern idea of effeminacy upon him and moreover like, just because you're thought effeminate, it does not necessarily mean you were thought to be homosexual. Oh, yeah. No, okay. So that's certainly a modern imposition. That's okay. But, I yeah. mean, I thought... Um, and, and actually, like, like she says, like, this precedent, she actually points to the trial of Oscar Wilde oh, specifically oh. as being the start of all this, and that prior to that, it was not a big deal, or at least not as big a deal, because I, she points to, like, rakes uh, and the actual, like, dandies for whom we are saying this were named and they are engaging in heterosexual behavior despite the fact that in some cases they're in full what we'd call it a drag um so you'll have you know people in full dresses makeup and everything and they're you know having heterosexual relationships or at least relationships that are coded as heterosexual Mm -hmm. um but then we get to talk about trans history and that's a whole other episode yeah so we should be a little bit careful here making that connection necessarily with Caesar just because he has some kind of quote-unquote feminine attributes that have been um, ascribed to him. It does not necessarily mean that he was perceived as such necessarily um, so, or that any other person would have been wh- on that on that like one criteria. Was level. all his epilation, all his body hair shaving, that was 
I mean, you, you sort of brought up that maybe that was political, but that you didn't really believe it. But that was that was mm. seen as unmasculine, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that I, I guess that's just like one thing that we know that at the time would have been seen as feminine that we're not yes. putting on modern interpretations of. Okay. Yeah. But again, but it's also worth mentioning that it comes up enough in the sources that we kind of have to assume that like if it's being mentioned by all of these different moralists and historians and, and satirists and playwrights and so on and so on, that this was not something that was like super rare. This was a, a common occurrence, um, or at least common enough that it shows up over and over again over the spirit, the period of like hundreds of years. You keep reading about it. Um, and that kind of raises a bunch of questions as well. And, you know, we don't have all the time in the world to unpack it, unfortunately, yeah. but like there's a, it's worth mentioning this because like in some sources, like I think even Ovid mentions that you want to have a little bit of a feminacy. Um, otherwise, you know, women aren't going to be interested in you. It's, <laughs> it's very much the wash your ass if you want to get laid of the oh ancient world. Wait, but you, a little <laughs> bit of effeminacy, so women will sleep with you, uh, sounds like they were recognizing that women want to sleep with yeah. women. Like that, I mean, yeah, it... That's that's interesting. Because uh, uh, if you have to I'm have a quote-unquote sure. little bit of a feminacy or women won't sleep with you, I don't know. That, to me, sounds like uh, yeah. recognizing that women really just want to sleep with other women. But, you know, there's... Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, like, like there's also, like, a playwright who I'm trying to find... Uh, you can hear me scrolling in the background. Apologize. <laughs> but, you know, I am trying to find it. There we go. So, um... That same article quotes one of Lucian's dialogues, or Lucian, I should say, from the second century. And she says, Eros, Eros, like Eros, the goddess of love, Eros bluntly tells Zeus that if he wants reciprocal enamorment, he must adopt an effeminate manner. His tough guy looks are unattractive to women. Oh, see, uh, yeah, that um, seems pretty, um, I mean, could be in, yeah, I don't know. That seems, mm. seems a lot like admitting that uh, they wanted to know, or they did know that women were attracted to women. <laughs> and so. Yeah. Well, that's possible. Or it may just be that like the Roman idea of, of this is peak masculinity. You may not like it, but this is what it looks like may not have been correct or at least not desirable. Um, which, you know, Hey, Kel fucking Supreme. Yeah, right? I, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that is an interesting thing to think about because I feel like, now, a lot of the things that, uh, you know, m men adopt that we would call masculine are things that women these days are, well, straight women are attracted to, right? So, like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, no, you're way too masculine. Um, I don't want to sleep with you. Like, I feel like now it's a lot of straight women like men that are way, way too masculine in, in a lot of ways. And we certainly, mm. like, these days would not be like, ooh, you gotta feminize, you know, be a little bit more effeminate, or I, you know, don't want to sleep with you. That's yeah. not something that a standard, whatever, like, typical cis straight woman would say. Yeah. Um, so, so that, I mean, that that's worth keeping in mind here as well, is that, you know, even our notions of what is and is not effeminate, what is and is not heterosexual, or yeah. what have you, even that in and of itself is kind of murky ground to 
begin to tread. Um, it's fun to tread, <laughs> I think, but you know. Yeah, that's. There's there's a lot of maybes and we thinks and and stuff like that, which is real common when we're dealing with history, yeah. especially from periods this far back. Um, so so yeah, uh, so I guess I guess to sum all this <laughs> up, was Caesar a a a whiny needy bottom? Um, maybe. maybe. I mean, wait. Was he did bisexual? Did someone say whiny and I mean, needy? Did someone call him whiny and needy? <laughs> no, I'm I'm kind of imposing that. Um, from our yeah, modern okay. language. I'm kind of I'm kind of trying to give the idea that like, you know, like there is despite the fact that like, you know, we have all these little accusations and things like that. There are parallels in in, in history and or sorry, in the modern day um that aren't, you know, necessarily even as bad like like in the queer community. You can give people shit for being a bottom <laughs> if you're a top. Um it's extremely common. Um, I'm, I can think of at least two people listening to um. this right now who are probably giggling their asses off. And I just want you to know, um, I know who you are. I know where you live. And uh, chill the fuck out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, I think that's the episode. Um, yeah. So, again, if you have any comments or if you have questions or if you want to, like, just say, hey, your your Latin and your Greek sounds like crap. Just, don't do uh, that. You no, know. do not. Maybe yeah, don't do that one. Don't send yeah, rude that, things. Yeah. Send us constructive yeah. thoughts. If you're just going to, like, you know, do the verbal equivalent of diarrhea, then uh, yeah. no. No. Go, go, some, go take it to Twitter or something. Constructive criticism only. Um, no insults. Yes. It's, you know, this is a, yes. a wholesome place. <laughs> so, it is, it is the year of our Berserker Lord 2020. <laughs> we can all act like yeah. humans, like proper humans. Yeah. Proper uh, humans. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. So uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next yep. time. See ya.